Um, we're, in, we're in Judges chapter 9. Uh, AJ last week finished, he, he taught on Gideon. Um, today we're going to talk about Gideon's son, although we're going to use a name called Jeroboam. That's, that's the same thing, it's Gideon, it's just a different name. Okay, so when you hear Jeroboam today, that's Gideon. Um, we're going to talk about a guy named Abimelech. Now a little bit of Bible trivia for you guys. If I ask who the first king of Israel was, right? Most of you are going to shout out Saul, and even Google would agree with you, right? But technically, um, that really isn't true. We're going to talk about the first king of Israel here uh, today, and his name is actually Abimelech. If you remember, Gideon did not finish well. AJ did a great job on teaching about that last week. Gideon did not finish well, and he had this pseudo-humility. So they wanted to make Gideon king, and he's like, no, I don't want to be king, Um, But then he had a son, and he named his son Abimelech. And the meaning of the name Abimelech is, my father is king. So uh, Gideon didn't finish well. And we're going to see some of the repercussions of that in his son's story this week. His son's name is Abimelech. Now, Gideon was a faithful hero. He's mentioned again uh, in the New Testament. And here's the deal. He had a bunch of sons, right? He had 70 Sons, that's a bunch. We have four, and it drives me nuts. If I had 70, I would be at the bottom of a river because I'd drive my car off a bridge. Um, but he had a bunch of wives, a bunch of sons. He actually had one son from a concubine, which is a servant girl. Uh, the servant girl was from the city Shechem. That's going to be important. And the son that he had from the concubine uh, was Abimelech. We're going to talk about him today. So here's what we have. So Abimelech, Gideon, Gideon's gone, right? So you have Abimelech, and he goes to his mother's family, right? And they're all from Shechem. He goes to his mother's family, and he starts kind of working them over, right? And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the leaders of Shechem. And this is, this is Gideon, or this is Judges chapter 9. I'm paraphrasing here. He goes, I want you to go to the leaders of Shechem, and I want you to ask them, hey, what would you rather have? Would you rather have 70 people ruling over you, or would you rather have one? And then go ahead and remind them that I am bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Like we're brothers. So remind them of that. So Abimelech's family, Abimelech's mom and family does just that. They go to the leaders of Shechem. And verse 3 of chapter 9 says that the hearts of the leaders of Shechem were inclined to Abimelech. They listened. And they said, okay, I like this. So here's what they did. They give him 70 pieces of silver. They give Abimelech 70 pieces of silver. And here's what he does. The Bible says he goes out and hires worthless and reckless fellows. And these worthless and reckless fellows go and they get Abimelech's brothers. And they kill them. 70 of them. All 70 of them on a stone. So they think. Right? What happens is little brother, his name is Jotham, little brother escapes and he runs to hide. So all brothers are dead except for one. Meanwhile, leaders of Shechem are formally making Abimelech their king. So Jotham gets word of this, he comes out to a mountain and he starts preaching a sermon, right? Where all the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech, they they could hear this sermon. We're still in Judges chapter 9. And it's kind of a weird sermon on its face. If you read it, he just starts talking about a bunch of trees, right? Like olive trees and bramble and cedars of Lebanon. Um, and and it's, it's weird to, to, to figure out, but 
Um, ultimately, then he sums up his story. And verse 7 through 14 is this sermon. Then finally, Jotham says, hey, here's the deal. Leaders of Shechem, if you acted in good faith by making Abimelech your king, awesome. Rejoice in him, and may he rejoice in you. But if you did not act in good faith by making Abimelech your king, then he says, may fire from Abimelech come and consume you. Well, obviously this wasn't received very well. So Jotham comes out of hiding to preach the sermon, preaches this sermon that really kind of ticks him off. Well, he runs back and hides again. That's verse 1 through 21 of chapter 9. And we could stop there and we could have read it and, and we could have taught a number of things. But this story gets crazy. So we have to go on and read the second half of chapter 9. Okay? Now, what I'm getting ready to do, we've never done in this capacity before, because I'm getting ready to read a ton of scripture. Right? I'll try to stop halfway and let you know, hey, we're only halfway. Um, but I must do this just so you get the story. Now, I've added another little element. So I have a beautiful assistant who's going to come up and help me. If you notice, we have some toys on the stage. And now, kids, every one of these toys are, are bad guys. Just so you know, Spider-Man is up here, but he's not Spider-Man today. He's going to be somebody else. And all these people are going to be bad guys. Now, what's going to happen is Jenny's going to come up. And as I'm reading this, she is going to do her best to stay with me in the story. Now, we did not practice this because I didn't, allow, I didn't allow her to practice this because the story is so confusing and complex that I hope you hear it while I'm reading it. Then I hope you see as she's trying to keep up that it's just very confusing. If I get distracted, it's because I think she's hot. Just bear with me. So we're going to pick up Judges chapter 9, verse 22. It will be on the screen. You can have your eyes here. You can have them on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. Just hunker down, okay? This is going to be a while. Here we go. And Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed him, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by along the way. And it was told to Abimelech and Gaal, the son of Ebed, don't know who this guy is, just comes out of nowhere, moved into the Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him, Gaal. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamar, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? 
would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. He's calling them out for a fight. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent a messenger to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set ambush in the field. Then... In the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. When he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land. One company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now? Who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people who you despise? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and fled before him, and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebul drove out Gaal, his servants, so they would not dwell at Shechem. We are halfway home. Stay here. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set ambush in the fields, and he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem, this is our tower of Shechem for right now, when they heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbruth. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand. He cut down a bundle of brushwood. He took it on, laid it on his shoulder. He said to the men who were with him, what you've seen me do, hurry and do this as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle, and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold, or the tower, on fire, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Dead. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up to the rooftop of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. This is a different tower now. You're doing a great job, babe. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through with the sword, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. 
and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. So we have dead, dead, gone, tower, shot, dead, dead. Give my lovely assistant a hand. conclude of this here's what I want us to get this is very important there is an inevitable complexity and confusion and complication and chaos that comes with sin and unfaithfulness to the Lord. One man, Abimelech, one man, and his lack of integrity and his unfaithfulness to God and God's plan led to thousands of deaths. It led to a horrible reputation and legacy. And it ultimately led to his death. This was the collateral damage. And here's what I want us to get. And I'm convinced of this. If we could drone over, right? Buddy of mine has a drone, has a camera on it. He takes some like cool camera shots. Now imagine if we could, in advance, drone over and just see into the future the collateral damage, the confusion that is caused, the chaos. If we could see that in advance. how that would change our faithfulness, our choices. I'm convinced it would change them greatly. Let me give you some examples of where things can get confusing or chaotic or complex. So we have this family in our church, right, young family, just I'm partial to them, just cute as could be, young married couple with a baby, right? They love the Lord. They're following the Lord. His parents are divorced and remarried. Her parents are divorced and remarried. Now, I think we can all agree on some level we can take every case of divorce and know, okay, there's sin involved there somewhere. I think that's a fair assessment. And I know there are people in this room who have been divorced, and it's not necessarily even your sin, but it's somebody else's, right? But we can conclude that in nearly 100% of cases of divorce, there is sin. So you have this couple who on holidays, it's like a geometry problem, 
right? And they're like, okay, I got to go to this parents for, and make sure I don't spend 10 minutes too long here. And then I got to juggle to this parents because now they have a baby, right? We know what happens when you have babies. Grandparents don't care about seeing their kids anymore. They want to see their grandkids, right? So now if you're depriving them of 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there, and they're just juggling this thing on Christmas and Thanksgiving that makes it super confusing and complex and chaotic, so much so that they kind of get an angst when holidays are approaching. It's confusing. I'll give you another example where things could get confusing. Now, some of these are real examples. Some of them are hypothetical. What about the guy that, 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 that works some shady business deals, right? He's cooking the books at his work. Uh, he can't even sleep at night because he's robbing Peter to pay Paul, and he's stolen from this guy. So he's trying to then steal from this guy to make sure this guy gets paid. And he can't even sleep well. And his life is confusing because he's a shady businessman. And his life is complex. And his life is chaotic. Got a lot of young people in here. What about the guy who was playing, at least that's what we used to call it, multiple women? Hey, 2000. What is it, 17? What about the woman who's playing multiple men? It's confusing, isn't it? It's complex. Oh, man, who's calling me? What number is this? Oh, did I send that text to him or did I send it to him? Did I send it to her? Did I send it to her? Oh, my goodness. Did I buy this for her? And it's just complex and it's confusing and it's chaotic. And it's unfaithful. And it's... Sin. What about this one? This may hit a little bit close to home. Okay, what about the person who's maxing out one, two, three, four credit cards? And they have this account at this store and this account at that store. And they get a paycheck and they don't even know where it goes. They just know I can't tithe off of this because I'm so neck deep in this problem with this credit card. And oh man, I got to pay this one. Okay, I got to juggle how I pay these credit cards. And I got to juggle how I take care of this debt. And their finances are chaos. And it's sin. And it's unfaithfulness. What about our social media people? Do you remember, I don't know if they still have this or not. You remember the status that you could put on social media and your relationship status, and it was this. It's complicated. And I conclude after studying this and just looking at the chaos in Abimelech's story, now I'm thinking, man, if I ever hear that, oh, it's complicated, or if I ever see that on social media, my immediate question is now, hmm, I wonder where the sin is in that relationship. It isn't supposed to be complicated or complex or confusing or chaotic for the Christ follower. It isn't. Part of how God draws men and women to himself is that they hear this thing called the good news. And the reason it's good news is because they have this life that's spinning out of control and it's chaotic and it's confusing and it's complex. And then they hear the gospel and it's good news. And they respond with, oh. 
I'm tired. I can't live like this anymore. I want Jesus. I want to rest. I'm sick of the confusion. I'm sick of the chaos, and I'm sick of the complexity. There's got to be something different, and my answer to you is there is. It's called the gospel, and it's simple. And it's not supposed to be confusing and complex or chaotic for the Christ follower. There are stories in this room of people who were in the middle of it, and they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they said, I am done with the chaos. They're all over this room. Brad, are you, I mean, I'm hearing you, but like, I don't know about this. Like, where are you getting this? Because here's the deal, I'm not saying you follow Jesus and your life is easy. That's not what I'm saying. Matter of fact, Jesus will call some of us to a very hard life. Witnessed it in Haiti last week. That's reality. But it's, it's not complex. It's pretty simple. Right? He's like, hey, Rick and Tina, that's the people living in Haiti. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go live in Haiti. You're not going to have air conditioning. You're not going to eat American food anymore. And you're going to uh, have people come down on trips. Like, there's nothing complex about that. But it's hard. So I'm not saying that automatic ease comes to the Christ follower. I'm telling you that complexity and confusion and chaos should not be a part of a Christ follower's life. Second Corinthians 11.3, word for word. This is Paul. He says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent deceived Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There's a simplicity that's in Christ. It's not supposed to be complex and confusing and chaotic for the Christ follower. How about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, 28, 30? He says, come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You cannot rest when things are chaotic. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is not supposed to be complex and confusing and chaotic for the Christ follower. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion. Other versions would say God is not the author of confusion, but he is a God of peace. He has a plan, right? He has a plan. He has a design. He has a way. And we need to be faithful to that design, to that plan, to that way, or else we get chaos, case in point, Abimelech. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture. Now, this is typical in my house and my world. Like, the Lord will show me something out of his word, right? And I'm like blown away, mind, ears smoking, 
fired up. And of course, my wife is the person who I go to first because I'm around her the most. And I'm like, this is incredible. I can go to her and be like, this is great. This is awesome. And, I, and I'll tell her. And, and it's like, cool. And she's not the only one. Like, here's what I'm, I'm getting ready to show you something that blew my mind. Still blowing my mind today. It may not blow your mind. But it is very interesting. If you go to chapter 10, so we just read, all, we just went through all of chapter 9. Now, if you go to chapter 10 in Judges, check this out, and I'm going to read it. This is crazy. After Abimelech, there rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Puah, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons. They rode 30 donkeys. They had 30 cities. Jir died and was buried in Camon. No? Okay. We just read a whole chapter. 57 verses of a guy who was unfaithful, deceitful, wicked, selfish, and it covered approximately three years of chaos. All right, come on, smile. Like, do you know where I'm going here? This is crazy. I just read you five verses on two men that covered 55 years of history of order, of peace, of simplicity. Kind of boring, wasn't it? Wasn't it? But what if we, as followers of Jesus, today, like we determine, this is what I believe, stamp it. This is who I am in Jesus, stamp it. And we stood firm in that. And we stayed faithful to that. Rock solid in that. What would that do? I'll give you two things I believe it would do. Not the only two, just two. I think, number one, we'd make way better decisions than what we make. More faithful decisions. Number two, it would cause us to persevere through the valleys. Now, before you think I'm just pulling that out of nowhere, stay with me. Abimelech, he went to his mom, right? And he went to his mom's family. Why did he do that? Why did he go to his mom and his mom's family and come up with this scheme? Didn't like something about his life. Maybe it was just pride that crept in. But whatever it was, it led him to unfaithfulness 
that led him to say, you know what, I think I want to make myself king. I promise you I'm not trying to squash anyone's dreams here today. <laughs> um, but I think some of us need to just be okay with being boring. Like maybe some of us need to quit dreaming of this like silver bullet or this magical, mystical big break. Some of us need to quit trying to make ourselves king. Faithfulness matters to God. Faithfulness matters to God. Now, what does that look like in our lives? How do we, how do we make this practical? Well, let's just take a job. Most of us have jobs, I hope. You know what you need to do tomorrow? You need to get up. And you need to go to work. And you need to work hard. And you need to work like you're work for, working for God. Because if you're a Christ follower, that's how you should work. The Bible tells us you're not working for anybody except for God. And you need to get up. And you need to go to work. And you need to work hard. And you need to work for God. And you need to come home. And you need to rinse. And you need to repeat. And Tuesday, you need to get up. And you need to go to work. And you need to work hard like you're working for God. Because you are. And you come home and you rinse, and you repeat, and you do that day after day after day, year after year after year. You know what's called? Faithfulness. There should be a drastic difference in how followers of Christ work and how unbelievers work, and we have a lot of people who have their own companies in here, and they hire and fire, and if you ask them, they can't really tell the difference, and that's a problem. And it boils down to faithfulness. How about marriage? How about you wake up today and you love each other a lot? And you submit to one another a lot. And you serve to one another a lot. And you sleep with, what you, with one another a lot. And you go to bed. And you get up and you do it again tomorrow. But Brad, he's such a jerk. I know. Love him. Submit to him. Serve him. Sleep with him. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Be faithful. Parents, we're looking for that silver bullet, aren't we? What is it that we can do to make sure our kids are okay, that they, that they, they turn out all right? All right, some of you have signed up for this parent conference thinking the silver bullet is coming in this parent conference. Spoiler, it's not. You get up, and you wake up in your house, and you pray for your kids, and then when they wake up, you talk about the Lord. 
and you love them, and you discipline, and you teach them, and you serve them. And then repeat. And you stay faithful to that. Parenting is faithfulness. You're going to come to a conference, you're going to learn a little bit on what that faithfulness looks like and how it unpacks itself. I challenge you, if you've not signed up for the parent conference, do it. And then go to your neighbor who has kids and say, hey, I want you to come to this parent conference for me. I have not found one parent, follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, who wants to suck at parenting. I haven't found that person. How about faithfulness in teaching and preaching the word? How about fully and faithfully teaching and preaching the gospel, which is what we say we're going to do every single week here? And maybe you've been coming week after week after week, and it's always gospel, 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 and you're like, man, I sure wish we'd go deeper. Kind of boring, isn't it? Um, we're not going to change. We will faithfully and fully preach the gospel every single week at Hill City Church. Proverbs 26, the wisest man to ever live writes, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find Faithful people were hard to find 6,000 years ago, and faithful people are still hard to find today. And faithfulness matters to God. Here's the thing. So a lot of you know I came from an athletic background. I was coaching. But here's the deal. Even if you didn't, if, you, if you're ever part of athletics or music or maybe you've built a great company, you, you will know this, what I'm getting ready to say. Okay? And I use this a lot as a coach. But. If you're ever going to be great, you're going to have to overcome the boredom of repetition. You ever heard that? Right? No musician, like, like the, everybody on our stage up here, they did not just wake up one day and like pick up a guitar and start playing like, wow, I know how to do this. Right? Hours and hours and hours of boredom and practice, and faithfulness to learning that craft. You've got to overcome the boredom of repetition. You want to be great. You want to you know this book? I know some of you do. You come to me like, man, I just can't understand. I don't know it. Hours and hours of boredom. Just reading it, studying it, praying over it. Being faithful in it. You want to be the patriarch of your family? I hope you aspire to be that. You want to be the matriarch of your family? I hope you aspire to be that. Listen to me, just getting old does not qualify you for that. And you kind of have a choice here. You can, you can get on a path of faithfulness to be the patriarch or matriarch of your family. Stay faithful to this. Or... You could just be the family fool when you're 65. You want to be that. Like, I want to be the guy that my kids and my grandkids and other family members will come to 
when I'm old, I say, Dad, Grandpa, I need to talk to you about something, and I need your advice. I would hope you would all want that. Because some of you might be on the path just to be the family fool. And I'm not trying to be mean here. I don't want that for any of you. But, like, we probably all have one in our family, right? The only reason we're ever going to this person is just to get a laugh because he's going to say something stupid and silly. (laughs) Right? But no one in the family goes to this guy or girl for any kind of advice or guidance or counsel. But it takes faithfulness to get there. I'm show you a verse. My wife is so great. Like she has this like on chalkboards around our house, and this is it's probably geared more to our boys in our house, but it, it's really geared toward everybody. But this is like this one was like tattoo verses on your brain, and it's really hope it's probably going to appeal to the men. But it kind of sums up faithfulness and what it takes. First Corinthians sixteen three. Be watchful. Man, just you're always on guard. Abimelech's guard was dropped. Right? He became unhappy. He became unfaithful. Be watchful. Here we go. Here's one. Stand firm in the faith. Is that you today? Are you standing firm in what you believe? Stamped it? Like, I'm not going to go to the left. I'm not going to go to the right. This is who I am. This is what I believe. I'm going to stand firm in that. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. When do you do that? Today? And you do it tomorrow? And you do it the next day? And you do it the next day? So, how's life? legitimate question. How's life? Complex? Confusing? Side note, I thought about doing this on the front end, but I'm going to do it now. I think this is important what I'm getting ready to tell you, okay? Just to clear things up. You are looking at a person who has lived the complex and the confusing and the chaos and who has been unfaithful. So I'm studying this and I'm teaching this and I'm not here. It's like, yep, yep, yep. So I want you to know that. But I want to talk to a few groups of people who may be represented in this, in this crowd, and I think you are represented. Group one, here's the deal. There are people in this crowd who fall in group one. And this is a group of people who are on the brink. Like you are about to step off a cliff and send your life out of control. And you haven't done it yet, but you're close. Like Maybe it's manifesting itself in that you're in an emotional relationship right now with somebody who isn't your spouse, and it hasn't gone physical, but it will. If you don't get away, it will. And you are emotionally connected 
to somebody you shouldn't be emotionally connected to and you need to run or it's about to get chaotic and complex and confusing. In that same group, maybe a person, like you're on the brink of making a financial decision that's about to send your life spinning out of control. You're about to make a purchase you know you can't afford. And it's sin because it's unfaithfulness and you're making a decision based off of fear and worry. And your life is about to be out of control. It's about to get complicated. Now, I hope you didn't miss this verse because it's a quick one and you very well could have missed it, but check this out. Verse 22 Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Did you catch that? It may not get complex or complicated or confusing immediately. And you may think, I got away with this. Or I'll get away with it. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. He's probably coasting, thinking, this is... What a great plan I had. And then all hell broke loose. Group two. Some of you are already there. Like you're, in, you're into things so deep right now, and, and it's already complex. And maybe that manifests itself and that you're hooked to pornography and you can't stop. And that's for the guys and the girls in the room because that's a reality. And it's complex. You don't know how to juggle it. You're trying to hide it from a spouse, and it's, and it's madness. Maybe you are already in a physical relationship with someone who you're not married to. And it's complex, and it's crazy, and you're confused. Maybe you're already in debt up to your eyeballs, and you're just like, I, this is horrible. I made these horrible decisions, and your life is complex and confusing and chaotic just based off of your finances. Maybe you are a businessman who you've made shady deals, and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And you don't think there's a way out. Side note, for the financial people, we are going to offer something coming in the fall. And if that is you and you're in major financial trouble, we have a couple guys that are going to teach you um, how to take care of that. And you need in your faithfulness to sign up for that. But here's my question to those of you in group two. Are you tired yet? Like the weight of the confusion, the weight of the chaos, is it breaking your back yet? It's not sustainable. You cannot continue in this because you're not meant to bear that weight. How about group three? And I'll be honest with you, group three, you're probably the group I hurt for the most. And I know there are group threes in this room right now. You are living the complex you are confused. There is chaos all around you. And here's the reality. It wasn't even your fault. It was somebody else's unfaithfulness or somebody else's sin. And you are feeling that. I want to speak some truth to you today. Number one, here's the first thing I have to say to you is I'm sorry. If no one's ever said that to you, I want to be the first thing. I am Sorry. And it's, it stinks. But the sec- second thing I need to tell you, and, and this is the hard truth, is if, you, if you're hurting 
and everything's complex and it wasn't your fault, here's what I want to tell you. Um, you have the same word of God at your disposal that the people or person who caused you this pain should have been obeying. And my challenge to you is don't make the same mistake that they made by being unfaithful to God and his word. And the way that can manifest itself is being unforgiving, being bitter, seeking revenge, giving up hope, all those things, all that all those things will just lead to more confusion and chaos. And I'm, my charge to you is don't make the same mistake. Hebrews 12.1, as we wind this down, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. Whatever group you may find yourself in, and maybe there's a situation I didn't mention, but it's the weight of the chaos and confusion. Hebrews 12 says, let's lay them aside, the weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's the gospel. So some of you are like, man, I, Brad, I want to. Like, I want to leave this confusion. I want to leave this chaos. I'm so done with it. I don't, what does that even look like? And practically speaking, here's what, here's what I would say. Men, if, if you're a guy in here and that's you, here's my challenge. You find another guy, confess those things, and get on a path to health. If you're a woman in here, find another woman, confess those things, get on a path to health. But the worst thing you could do is not be repentant and remain unfaithful. Because here's the deal. Being unrepentant and unfaithful is a very scary posture. Abimelech was never repentant. Abimelech remained prideful to the end. So much so that after his head was crushed, he looked and said, Oh, please kill me so that they don't say of me I was killed by a woman. He, he never humbled himself. And his brains got crushed. First Peter 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He says it again, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may exalt you. Abimelech wanted to exalt himself. Some of us are trying to exalt ourselves. God will exalt you. He says in verse 7, cast all your anxiety, anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Say, again, there's that theme, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, here's the big... Let's look, look at verse 10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, hear the big words, restore you, he will confirm you, he will strengthen you, he will establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There are stories all over this room of restoration, of people who are unfaithful, 
but repented, humbled themselves, and now God has restored. That is my prayer for you today. I want you to step out of the chaos. I want you to step out of the confusion. I want you to step out of the complexity and grab hold of the simplicity that is in Jesus. Let's pray.